Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Vince Gutierrez. I'm a physical therapist. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing centralization in a research paper that was uh, done by Mark Wernicke and others. So the purpose of the research paper was to standardize the operational definition of centralization phenomenon, to determine the occurrence of the centralization phenomenon, to quantify the reliability of categorizing into three groups. The three groups are those that centralize, those that do not centralize, and those that have a partial reduction. And then finally, to determine if there's a difference between pain pattern groups. The author's hypothesis going into the study was that the occurrence of the centralization pain pattern would be less than the occurrence of the centralization phenomenon previously reported. The second one would be that the three pain pattern groups can be reliably distinguished. And the final hypothesis was that the centralization pain pattern group will have better outcomes than the other two groups, being the partial centralization group and the non-centralization group. We first have to start off with centralization. And what is centralization? Centralization is the rapid change in location of pain from distal to more proximal in the body. It must remain better after it's moved, and it must be the result of a directional movement or positioning technique. <clears throat> so what does this all mean, right? You know, Robin McKenzie came out with um, the, this centralization phenomenon around late 1950s, um, early 19, late 1950s, I believe it was 1958. I don't have these notes in front of me anymore. So it, I believe it's 1958. And, you know, the story of Mr. Smith, I highly recommend you go listen to somebody else tell the story of Mr. Smith because I won't be able to do it justice. But what was noted was that a patient that may have symptoms that travel down the leg, you can reduce the symptom and turn off the symptom in portions of the leg and that turning off of the symptom may actually move up closer to the spine. For instance, uh, sciatica is very common to see, and patients with sciatica may report symptoms from the back all the way down to the foot. Well, if you can take the symptoms out of the foot, that's actually considered a centralizing symptom, right? It's moving from the foot from a position that's far away from the spine, and now it's in the calf, which is a position closer to the spine, right? And to further centralize that symptom, it would have to leave the foot, leave the calf, and only be in the thigh. To further centralize, it would have to leave the foot, leave the calf, leave the thigh, only be in the buttock. And then to further centralize, it would leave the foot, leave the calf, leave the thigh, leave the buttock, and only be in the back. And it could still centralize even from the back, because it can move from the outer portion of the back to the mid, mid portion of the back. And the centralization is considered a good sign. And so if you see it, that's a good thing. Uh, second, in order for it to truly be a, a centralization pattern, it has to remain better when the patient gets out of that position. So it has to remain centralized when it gets out of that position. And it, it should be the result of a directional loading technique, whether it be extension flexion or some lateral component. And that could either be loaded versus unloaded. It's a lot to take in if you've never heard of the centralization phenomenon. Um, as physical therapists, this should be like breathing for us, right? This should be very simple for us to understand. As a patient, this will become maybe a little bit more clearer as we go through, or if you go back and listen to some of my previous podcast episodes. So the methods was to categorize patients into one of three groups. 
the centralization group, which we just covered, the symptoms must move to a more proximal segment, meaning they must move closer to the back, or they should abolish. And so if you have back pain, the back pain has to turn off. If you have centralized back pain, central, middle, back pain, the back pain must turn off. The second step for this is that the symptom must remain better. And the third step to this is the patient must continue to centralize during subsequent visits until all of the symptoms are abolished. Meaning if on day one, the symptoms turned off in their foot, going back to the sciatica example that I gave earlier, if the symptoms turned off in their foot, well then the next session, the symptoms have to turn off in the calf region. The next session, the symptoms have to turn off in the thigh region. The next session, the symptoms have to turn off in the buttock region. No different than, than what I said before, but the symptoms have to progressively turn off region to region. The second group is the non-centralization group. And with this, there are no changes seen in pain location throughout all of the sessions, or the actual reverse of that happens. All that can happen during the session is you can move the symptoms further away from the spine, and that would be called peripheralization, and that would be no good. Okay, there's research to show that that correlates with a higher chance of you having uh, um, invasive procedures if we're seeing non-centralization. The third group is a group called the partial reduction group. And with this, the pain may move more proximally. It may move closer to the spine, but then it stops moving closer to the spine. Okay, so it stops centralizing. Or you may not have any change in pain during any one visit, but the pain gradually decreases in intensity over subsequent visits. And that's also considered partial reduction. Okay, the inclusion criteria for these patients, they had to be between the ages of 18 and 65 years old. They had to have a diagnosis of neck or back syndromes with or without referred symptoms, meaning neck or back pain with or without symptoms radiating into the arms or legs. They had to have been referred by a physician for conservative treatment. And the symptoms had to be less than six weeks of duration. This is important, again, Anytime that, that a, a therapist, a physical therapist, is looking at a study, they have to determine if the study is relevant for the patients that we see. So if I'm a, a physical therapist and I'm seeing patients that are mostly in their 80s and 90s, this study may not apply because there are no patients in this study that are 80 to 90 years old. And so it's, it's harder to make that direct correlation it may work, but it may not because the, the patient that you're seeing in front of you may not fit the inclusion criteria established in this study. And that, that has to be taken into consideration anytime that you're treating patients. The exclusion criteria, spinal pain or work loss within six months before the current episode. And so if they had you know, symptoms that were longer than six weeks ago, um, they may not qualify for this study. If they don't understand English, they didn't qualify. They had a history of spinal surgery, were pregnant, refused to sign the consent, then, then they weren't included in this study. That's what exclusion criteria means. And of the patients, 51, per, 51 total patients were excluded from the study. Uh, for consent, 300 patients consented to the study, and 11 later dropped out. And so... Of these patients, of the 300, 77% of them had lumbar complaints, and 22% of them had 
cervical complaints, 22.8 and 77.2. So, you know, 23% and 77%. The average duration of symptoms for these patients was 13 days. Um, 71.6 had workman's compensation, and 71.6% workman's compensation, and 13% were working full duty. For the PTs that were actually treating and assessing these patients, there were five in total. Three of them had 15 to 20 years of experience. Two of them had five to seven years of experience. Three of the five were diplomaed in mechanical diagnosis and therapy, also known as MDT. Two of them were certified in mechanical diagnosis and therapy, uh, also known as MDT. Um, I currently am certified in MDT. And the patients were assigned based on the caseload of the front desk. And so the front desk was blinded to the methods of the study. But um, this is what happens in real life, right? Is patient comes in, front desk assigns the, the patient to whoever has the opening. And so the, this was a little bit more um, maybe lax in terms of how the patients were randomized. It's still type of randomization. It's just um, not as good um, as a true randomization that's that's performed statistically because you're you're not saying that your first 10 are going to one therapist um, the patients are going based off of where there's an opening so for the procedures at at the eval each patient completed a body diagram and if you've been in physical therapy you may have seen these on your intake forms this is a, a drawing of a body and you just shade in the area in which you have symptoms. The second thing that was taken was the numeric pain rating scale, which many people are familiar with this on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being no pain, 10 being the worst imaginable pain. How would you rate your symptoms? Third would be the Oswestry Disability Index, and this is considered the gold standard for uh, patients to fill out. It's a subjective report, so they fill it out based off of this 10 question form and uh, there are five possibilities for each question and you circle the number that best represents you for each question and that gives you a sum total score uh, percentage uh, or they could have filled out the neck disability index which is fairly similar to the Oswestry it's just related to the neck. Uh, for the body diagram the patient filled out the body diagram before and after the initial eval and each subsequent session so the therapist could see if there was movement of symptoms and the patients were instructed to shade in all areas of pain and referred symptoms. At, at the eval they all received what's called an MDT evaluation in the research and this just means that the research the eval was structured in such a format to follow this MDT uh, evaluation form and it's not very special. I, do, I personally don't think the MDT eval form is special, um, but it is set up a little bit differently in that repeated motions are emphasized and uh, sustained motions are emphasized. Um, subsequent sessions were scheduled 24 to 48 hours out and each session 24 to 48 hours out, uh, and that's what was recommended between visits. And this allows for patients to perform their exercises at home, whatever was given to them on the first day. It gives them time to attempt to create change, to, um, to work on it, you know, it adheres to the program that they were given, to understand any obstacles to the program that they were given. 
and then they were invited to return back to the clinic. Um, me personally, I tend to go a little bit further out than, you know, one to two days. My patients are typically seen, you know, twice a week or once a week. Um, I would say almost never three times a week in our clinic. And um, once a week seems to be the most common. Treatment was not standardized except for establishing centralization and avoiding peripheralization. And so, like I said, uh, the goal is to try to move the patient's symptoms closer to the spine, and you're doing your best to avoid moving them further away from the spine. Like I said, uh, when you move your symptoms further away from the spine, it correlates more with uh, increased need for invasive procedures. So we're trying to avoid peripheralization. And the treatment was not standardized because there are so many variables involved. So we have to understand centralization, the movement of symptoms from the leg up closer to the spine, can be achieved through motion. It is achieved through motion. And that motion can be an extension motion, a backward bending, a flexion motion, a forward bending, or a sideways motion, like a side glide. It could also be a combination of any of those three. So it could be a flexion rotation, it could be extension with hips off-centered. Uh, it could be a side glide with backward bending or a side glide with forward bending. Uh, it could be any of those are possibilities. And that's just the direction. The other aspect of this is the load. The patient can be against gravity. The patient can be not against gravity. The patient can have pressures exerted on them from, say, a family member or weights or whatever they want to use to apply pressure downward. So there, there are too many variables involved in order for you to uh, completely standardize the treatment protocol. If centralization was not noted and there was no directional preference, the patients then progressed to return to function with the main goal being to avoid peripheralization during the return to function. And return to function means something different for every patient. You are essentially utilizing you know, concepts of graded exposure to increase that patient's daily function without making them any worse. Education was also part of the procedure with the end goal being to empower the patient to become active in their own recovery and reduce fear of movement. Reduce fear and movement intolerance, sorry. To, uh, and so our goal is to, to get that patient moving more than what they're doing now to slowly start returning them back to life. And in doing so, we want the patient to understand that they are in charge of what happens. You know, it's their symptoms. They're going to be the ones that are in charge of reducing their symptoms. We're not playing the hero role as a physical therapist. More so, we're playing the role of a guide. And the one thing that this, um, this study allowed for was modalities. Modalities like a hot pack, cold pack, e-stim, ultrasound, and the authors wrote down that the purpose of the modality was to facilitate education. I can see many therapists having a problem with this right off the bat because you don't need modalities to educate. Uh, I can understand where they will help. You know, they may help calm down an angry symptom in the process of education, but, you know, the patient can sit and also be, you know, have that conversation for education. So a modality isn't needed to, to educate, and, and that's kind of my stance on this also. If you want to use a modality for another reason, such as patient symptoms are very angry, and, um, you know, we call them a hot patient, they have, uh, you know, angry. 
don't know if I have a better terminology for hot. Uh, yeah, you do actually. So the symptoms aren't, aren't necessarily changing immediately. And a lot of the things that you're doing in the clinic may be making that patient worse. And so you can use modalities to educate on empowerment. But um, you can use modalities because they can trick the brain, right? They can calm down the, the patient's pain. Uh, there's two theories out there on this, so the gate control theory and the endogenous opioid theory. Um, these are the theories that are taught in school regarding reducing pain, but that's not what this research paper is about, so we're going to move on. The outcome measures taken in this research paper was the numeric pain rating scale. Right? We already covered that. Uh, a 30% change or a two-point change is considered significant, and this study actually used what's called an effect size, which means you take the end number minus the beginning number divided by the standard deviation. It's just a lot of math, right? And then you determine what type of size effect the, the interventions had. So I'm not going to go into details on that because it's, it's math. Right? Math is kind of hard to do over a podcast. Other outcomes were the oswestry and the neck disability index. And again, it was the same thing. They used effect size, you know, n minus beginning divided by uh, standard deviation. Another outcome measure that was used that's very straightforward, and there is no math, is total number of visits used. Right? So if two visits were used theoretically, that's better than 10 visits being used, especially depending on who's paying for it. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're utilizing total visits used as an outcome measure to try to determine the efficiency of treatment. So, for the results, we have reliability. The reliability of three judges was excellent to be able to code the most distal segment, which means when the patient, <laughs> when the patient fills out the body diagram, can I tell you that they filled out the foot? Right, they filled out the foot, so I am excellent. And I can reliably tell you that they colored in the foot. I can reliably tell you they colored in the calf. And you know, as, as funny as it may seem, it's still it's still needed to know in order to establish reliability of, of looking at these pain diagrams. And the ability of the judges to categorize into the three groups was also excellent, which means that you can categorize into three separate groups. You can have centralization, you can have somebody who doesn't centralize, right? Or you can have somebody who partially centralizes or uh, partially reduces. And so you can state that over the course of uh, multiple sessions. So the characteristics of the patients at the initial evaluation, um, age, gender, duration of symptoms, payer type, the physical demand of the jobs, the current work status, none of that was different among any of the pain groups. So those variables didn't seem to have a role in whether or not you were classified as to a centralized or a non-centralized or a partial reduction group. Uh, the midline pain seemed to be the smallest group, followed by symptoms that radiated into the leg and arm. And those patients who reported pain in just the buttock and shoulder, that seemed to be the largest group in terms of pain location. So more people complained of pain in the buttock or shoulder region than complained of back pain only. Right? Uh, more were classified as centralizers from the buttock and shoulder 
than from those that had symptoms that extended into the arm or leg. And there were more non-centralizers in the arm and leg than those in the buttock and shoulder. And that kind of makes sense based off of what I just said. If um, the shoulder and buttock centralized more often, then the non-centralizers will be seen in non-shoulder and buttock group, right? The pain pattern occurrence, 30.8% were centralizers. 23.2% were non-centralizers. 46% were partial reduction. And this becomes interesting because as a um, therapist who's fairly versed in the research, the McKenzie method would have anywhere from 70 to 80% of patients be classified as a, a derangement, meaning symptoms can change, right? And if you look at these two that would fall into centralization, your centralizing group, but also your partial reduction group, which is a group that may centralize but not continue to centralize, they may be classified as derangements on day one, according to um, mechanical diagnosis and therapy, and they're actually changing the terminology. Um, they've actually just changed the terminology recently. And so that, that if you add those two groups together, you're sitting at 76.8%. And so that takes you to that 70 to 80% of patients that are classified as derangements, or as I like to call them, just fast changing. In terms of perceived function, pain intensity, and visits by pattern, the centralization group utilized fewer visits. On average, they required 3.9 visits to discharge. The non-centralization group had eight total visits. The partial centralization group had 7.7 .7 total visits. So the centralization group and partial centralization group both had significant improvements in perceived function and pain intensity than those that were non-centralizers, which means those patients that peripheralize may not see uh, great improvements with physical therapy. What's interesting is that there was no significant difference between those that centralize and those that have partial reduction. And, th and that becomes um, important because previously we believed that those patients that centralize and continue to centralize will do better than those that may not fully centralize. And this research paper is not necessarily showing that. It's showing that they may do overall the same. What you do see though is that those that are in the centralization group require much fewer visits than those that are in the partial reduction group, right? They require almost four fewer visits. And if the patient's paying out of pocket, that's about $400 or more uh, for, for physical therapy. And so that may be an issue for the patient you know, financially. Uh, for the partial reduction group analysis, patients that didn't fit the centralization or non-centralization, they were then also called partial reduction. And, and that might skew the numbers a little bit. 26% of them demonstrated proximal change on first visit, which means on day one, 26% of them started to centralize. And that's why they were seen as a centralization group. Um, but then at some point, they stopped centralizing. And 51% of patients demonstrated a reduction in symptoms by visit three and 72% by the seventh visit. And what they found was that if there was no significant change by the seventh visit, 
no significant changes were noted at all. And that's, that puts you on a timeline, right? So if you're a patient listening to this and you're not seeing progress by your seventh visit, you have no reason to continue physical therapy three times a week for an additional six weeks for another 18 visits because they haven't demonstrated the ability to reduce your symptoms over the first seven visits. Why should you put your trust in them to, to try to help you out over an additional 18? As a physical therapist, you should know that you're on a timeline, right? Because if the patient is not making progress after the fifth or sixth visit, you may be referring this patient back to the physician. You may be referring this patient for imaging from through the physician, but you know that after seven visits, if there's no change, there's probably not going to be a change, at least for those patients that meet this inclusion criteria. Remember, this is not a study on, with uh, patients who have chronic pain. And so this is a study for patients who have more of that acute or subacute pain. But chronic pain does not fit into this research study, which is why we can't just assume that we're going to refer all patients out by the seventh visit, especially if this patient that's in front of you has had pain for more than months. Okay, so the, the discussion is, um, can partial reduction equal natural history? Right? If, if patients are noticing significant improvements over your peripheralizers or your non-centralizers and they're getting better over the course of you know, eight visits, are they getting better because of physical therapy or are they getting better because of the time lapse that's taken place between the first visit and the final visit? And would these patients have gotten better had they had just done nothing? Right? And we don't know those answers, but to me, these answers are interesting. Right? This is the game that we play in healthcare. Are we helping the patient or are we actually getting in the way of the patient getting better? And those are things that we have to take into account. Just because a patient improves doesn't mean that they improved because of us. They might have actually improved in spite of us. <laughs> and, and that's a fun discussion to have with the patient. <laughs> you just spent eight visits in front of me and you might have gotten here without being here for eight visits and not spending that money that you spent. Um, that's always a fun discussion to have. But what we know is that those that centralize they get better faster, right? And so those centralizers, you may be able to say that those that centralize in front of you are getting better because of physical therapy. Uh, the centralizers, there were 30%, equal, roughly 30% of patients were considered centralizers. And centralization, it does not take pain intensity into factor, right? So if a patient tells you that I have sciatica all the way down to the foot, you know, full-blown sciatica, and they tell you that their symptoms decrease in the foot, that is not centralization. Centralization literally means the symptoms have to leave the foot and move to the next segment, right? And so the centralization group had fewer visits, better reduction of pain, and improved function when compared to the non-centralization group. But they only had fewer visits than the partial reduction group, all right? So if a patient is a centralizer, we may be able to help them faster than the partial reduction group, but we may not be able to help them more than the partial reduction group. And I think that's interesting. And so the, the real value of the centralization phenomenon may actually be documenting when it doesn't happen because these patients may not get better over the course of eight visits, seven visits, sorry. And so for me, the take home on this is we have to question our biases. And if we want the patient to centralize, the patient's symptoms to centralize, or do they actually centralize, right? We have to stop looking at a reduction in pain intensity, meaning centralization, because that is not centralization. And so we have to understand that 
just because the patient may seem better doesn't necessarily mean that they actually centralized. Uh, centralization shows great prognosis for the total number of visits and improvement. Those who don't centralize have worse outcomes, and after seven visits, we don't tend to see much change. And so again, that gives you a timeline for when to refer for imaging or refer back to a physician. And um, for partial centralization, are we looking at natural healing or a regression to the mean? Meaning, would these mean meaning funny? Meaning, would these patients actually get better on their own over the course of time? And are we over-treating these patients per week, or maybe under? treating these patients per duration. So instead of seeing these patients two to three times a week for four to six weeks, could we see this patient once every other week over the course of six weeks and save some visits, save some money for the patient? Granted, as a business, you actually lose money, but in terms of global healthcare population health, you may be better off. And these are questions that we have to continue to ask ourselves over the course of time. Is the patient better because of us? Or is the patient better in spite of us? Thanks for listening. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. The views expressed during this podcast are that of the creator, Dr. Vince Gutierrez, and do not reflect the views of the authors that are cited during the podcast. Again, this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you have a physical limitation or a pain, please seek out a licensed professional. Thank you for listening.